Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com the nba finals are heating up looking for hot takes on all the postseason action the old man and the three presented by bmw is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage host and former nba sharpshooter jj reddick not only has a plugged in perspective on the action from his time in the league but he's also announcing the games in real time for espn J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Hello, and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Andy Behrens. He is multi-sport legend Scott Pianowski. We are here to give you a little late March waiver. What? No, not waiver wire. We're here to give you some ridiculously early sleepers, perhaps for some best ball drafts, for whatever kind of drafts you might be doing. Uh, Scott, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm just lovely, Andy. Um, you sound terrific, by the way. <laughs> Scott and I have new microphones. We're excited about that. New technology. And Scott and I um, are very adept at technology. So it was no issue whatsoever setting all this up. Well, there was a, actually an internal argument that Del Don was getting the James Earl Jones treatment and everybody else was, <laughs> was lagging behind. So um, producer Brett mailed us all this equipment, which you know weighs about as, as much as your lawnmower. But we have set it up. <laughs> And I can't, I can't guarantee the content is going to be any better, but hopefully it will sound better. That's all that really matters, right? All that really um, matters. I mean, it's March. That's all that matters for sure. Right. Well, you know, it's also been talked about that, you know, as we look to, to make our, our foothold into FSWA awards and stuff that, you know, usually the, the March, uh, the late March football podcast is what you submit <laughs> as, as your best, your best show of the year. So, um, you know, keep this one. You're gonna you're, you're gonna ha- you know save some space for this one. Have a copy of it in your audio player and and review this handy podcast several times before you drive. You know everything <laughs> we say today will be very relevant in August and September when you're building your championship. Team. I may actually set that up as a category for us to FSWA the uh, the the way out of season podcast uh, for all sports. I like it. It's a good idea. Also, yeah, remember the, the the goal of anybody in the industry is you know 
should you fall into any great prediction in March, you have to do the Shawshank 500 yard <laughs> crawl through all the muck in the world to find it to say, hey, wait a minute. I told you this was going to happen six months ago. Just ignore the other 27 things I got wrong. So, yeah, these are the only ones that matter. If you unless you unless you have the hot take and you and you call it correctly in February or March. Did you really did you really call it at all? Did you really predict it at all? I don't think so. I was telling people a month ago to bet on Villanova and Duke. Of course, I walked the Duke thing back about 10 days after that. So, you know, whatever, you win some, you lose some. But I know it's hard for you to podcast with, um, you know, Keegan Murray has gone to the NBA and, and Caitlin Clark was unceremoniously bounced from the, the women's tournament. So I was there, by the way. What an atmosphere. Were you? My wife and I drove to Iowa City for it. They're, the team has been a joy to watch. They're all back. Um, so I'm I'm trying to... Trying to spin it forward a little bit. I'm really excited about him. Um, so you got the Mike. You got the Mike Demone tickets. So close. You probably scared the. You probably scared the team. It was great. It was hard. It was hard to get seats. Like it was a sold out arena. Really loud. It was cool to see. So she has two more years. Caitlin Clark. Yes. Here's hoping. Unless the hoping. unless the NBA itself comes for. Her. She's great. All right. Good stuff. Scott, I thought this was going to be the first week in which we didn't get some sort of league-shaking news item um, almost immediately before we podcasted. But but no, uh, that was not the case. Woke up this morning to news that uh, Bruce Arians had, I don't know what to call it, stepped down, stepped up to the front office. I think that's what he did in, in Tampa Bay. Um, bit of a surprise if you were out of the loop on that. Uh, I, th- this man has has spent nearly five decades as either a collegiate or an NFL coach, actually entered the league in 1989 uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was Christian Okoye's position coach back in the day. Along the way, he coached Peyton Manning, coached Ben Roethlisberger, coached Andrew Luck, uh, now obviously coached Tom Brady. The man went 80 and 48 uh, with one tie as a head coach. He's gone 24 and nine the last two seasons. He's a two-time coach of the year. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion, twice as an assistant, once as a head coach. It is a remarkable career. It is it is also pretty admirable and and uh, like almost surprising in any era, in any sport, to see a, a, like this is basically a turnkey operation in Tampa Bay, right? The NFC has gotten kind of soft. Um, the the Bucks obviously a among the favorites, it feels like they're, you know, whatever, this is all on paper right now. But if the teams stay healthy, it feels like there's an inevitable sort of Rams bucks clash coming down the road for everything. I mean, it's a, it's a clean path in the NFC and they've got everything you need. So he stepped aside from that to allow Todd Bowles to take over as uh, as head coach. Bowles gets a new five-year deal. Um, Byron Leftwich sticking around as the offensive coordinator. Both Bowles and Leftwich clearly had a lot of autonomy, at least last year. Um, Brady himself sounds like he was aware of this. It was a very orchestrated, coordinated uh, retirement announcement. I don't even, I, maybe I shouldn't call it a retirement. It's, again, he's moving to the front office in some capacity. Uh, so, you know, con- congrats to him on an incredible coaching career. Any... I mean, I can't make a case that there's huge fantasy impact here, but perhaps you can. No, I don't think there is um, because it seems like Arians was the CEO coach in Tampa Bay the last couple of years, meaning that he oversees the whole operations. But Todd Bowles, of course, was running the defense and Byron Leftwich had, it seemed like, the most authority in the offense. So one of the key words we talk about in fantasy football offseasons is continuity. So what do we have here? We have a lot of continuity. Quarterback's back. The big receivers are back. 
the same guy in Byron Leftwich is going to be running the offense. The same guy in Todd Bowles is going to be running the defense. And every other team in the NFC South pretty much can't get out of its way. I mean, the Saints are trying to talk themselves into Jameis Winston. Atlanta is doing a complete reboot that includes Marcus Mariota. I don't know what Carolina is doing, but it's probably not going to work. <laughs> so I, I feel like Tampa Bay will get the NFC South championship in the mail probably you know right around july or so uh you know hats off to arians he was in, in an age where we we get on coaches because of all the coach speak and nobody says anything interesting and they're always lying to us at least arians kind of shot from the hip and and he wasn't afraid to criticize his own players if his team played poorly he'd say look yeah. we stunk and, and stuff like that he not was, afraid he to criticize different... brady not afraid to criticize brady for sure himself. for sure um so he was he was an interesting guy, um, a different a different just he, he had his own kind of uh, walk. He, he marched to a different drummer. So I'll, I'll miss that. But it's it's also good to see at a time where the the NFL has a, has a problem with diversity in the coaching ranks. It, it's just nice to see Todd Bowles get another chance. And obviously Byron left, which is profile, which was already pretty high, goes up a little bit, too. So. Uh, I think I think very highly of both of those guys, and I think they'll do great work in there. You know, Leftwich pretty much has the same job already, but you know, it's just nice to see them. You're running the show in Tampa Bay because they certainly paid their dues. They're qualified, and again, I expect Tampa Bay to make a deep run next. Year. And Brady, look, Brady's no, 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 he's not silly about this. He know he knew when he left New England. He's like, okay, I, I can't throw to these jabronis at receiver. I I need to go somewhere where I'm supported with a really good offensive line with really good receiving talent. He was able to coach Gronkowski out of retirement. So, you know, they're, they're set up. I mean, they're going to win 12 or 13 games and, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, as you said, going to miss Bruce Arians, just, um, you know, setting aside his success, his long track record, um, his record of, of sort of loyalty to his guys, uh, inclusion, a lot of good things we can say about Bruce Arians. He's so quotable. Um, he's so funny. His, his going out presser was hilarious and a little bit profane and just a blast. And we need, we need more of it. Um, he like, he's, he's a little bit of a party in a, in a league that is often really, really dry and tries to say nothing. He has never been that guy. One big regret I have is my, my favorite actor of all time is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who actually died uh, the morning of the Super Bowl a few years ago. And I always thought he would have been a perfect cast for Bruce Arians. Not no. We know oh, Hoffman wow. has Hoffman has played a you know a sporting you know head head honcho before he got the Art Howe gig for Moneyball right. and I remember right. I remember Peter King being all mad about that like wait he doesn't look anything at all like Art Howe and I'm like how dare you how dare you Peter King challenge <laughs> the acting chops of Philip Seymour Hoffman who I think is the finest actor that that I've ever known and, and look I know people want to say well he's a character actor you know what I call a character actor I, I call him an actor. And it seems like every Hoffman role was different. And I always felt like he would have been a great Bruce Arians. We'll never get to see that. Yeah, Bruce Arians will be missed. But uh, the Buccaneers are, again, you can write them into the playoffs right now. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to give you a little Buccaneers hype, you know, a little teaser here. We call it teaser in the industry, Andy. I'm I'm going to try to sell you on one of the maybe less um, no, you know, less big-name Buccaneers as, as one of the staples of your best ball portfolio. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Oh, I'm I'm ready for it. That's a good segue. Um, this idea 
that we want to get into on the pod today. This was originally pitched by Scott, and the idea is fairly simple. It is players that we want to draft just as soon as possible, like right now, today, if I can, in best ball, sort of before the the inevitable rise in ADP occurs. Try not to get too hung up on the term sleeper here. I know I packaged it that way. There's no, we're not going to be talking about, maybe Scott will. I'm certainly not going to be talking about any super secret names. Uh, the, these guys all just seem like they are they, they are extreme values at the moment. Uh, we're going to hit all the major positions. We're going to start with quarterback. Scott, why don't you get us started with your very, very early sleeper? Yeah, I mean, value play might be the better word. Yeah. It's just people p- people like sleeper. It's good for, for SEO, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the editors, the powers that be will want to use that term. But it's, you know, it's such a nebulous word. And there's so much good work in the industry now that players are coming out of nowhere. Just it's it's highly unlikely. Although I guess Elijah Mitchell kind of came out of nowhere. I don't have next year's Elijah Mitchell, by the way. You're probably you're probably <laughs> begging for that. And to be fair, you know, and this is kind of a disclaimer that you don't need, but I'll throw it out anyway. So much is going to change with the NFL draft because yeah. skill talent, we, we're at a point now where r- rookie receivers can be expected to make contributions right away. We know rookie running back is a plug-and-play position. There may even be some rookie quarterbacks who get playing time. Two best ball values that I see. I, I've gone back and forth on, on Tua Tungavailoa. But man, look at the support he has. I mean, they get Tyreek Hill and, you know, granted, maybe Hill's, you know, closing in on the back nine of his career. He's not going to have Mahomes anymore. He's not going to have Andy Reid anymore. But there's Hill, there's Jalen Waddell, there's Mike Gusecki. They don't really have a lot of talent at running back. We're going to find out if Tua can play. And with that talent surrounding him, I think he's an excellent chance to outkick what I see as an an early ADP that's like 17 or 18. Tua doesn't have to play all that well to beat that. And I'll give you a kind of a Jalen Hurts special. He won't be as good as Hurts was, but last year the story with Hurts was always like, okay, he's so much better in fantasy than he is in reality. We're not sure if he's really a, a long-term solution for the Eagles, how much they like him or not, but he's a great fantasy player because he runs so much and, and he's dynamic that way. And he had some great garbage time games as well. I can't say that the Falcons are going to win a lot of games with Marcus Mariota, <laughs> but I can tell myself a story where he yeah. might run for like 670 yards and six or seven touchdowns. He does have history with Arthur Smith. So, you know, Arthur Smith couldn't figure out the, the Kyle Pitts plays last year. And, and I think Pitts will be an interesting guy to draft this season. But even though the Falcons, I don't expect to be good. I think Mark Mariota, and also, you know, he's a guy, maybe he, I want to be careful how I say this. Think of like Ryan Tannehill, right? He comes in, he's a first round pick. He doesn't do a lot in Miami. They're extenuating circumstances. He takes a job in Tennessee, ironically backing up Mariota, and then eventually it all falls together, and Tannehill becomes a above-average quarterback, somebody who could kind of be like a replacement pro Bowl player, that type of thing. I, I think when Mariota gets back into the starting saddle, he, he's just going to play with his hair on fire and just he has nothing to lose. And again, it's you, know, you think back to Tim Tebow a decade ago. You think back to Hurts last year. The way fantasy football is scored, it favors running quarterbacks. And I think Mariota is going to do that proactively, which will make him super flex, uh, best ball, you know, the type of guy that you wouldn't mind as a second or third quarterback. Yeah, I think that's a good call on Mariota, especially if we're thinking of this in terms of best ball drafts, right? You may not know when those 80-yard rushing performances are going to come. You know, you might not be able to, like, look at matchups and say, aha, this is a great rushing matchup for a quarterback. 
Um, but they are going to come. He's going to have, you know, also they're going to have to presumably keep the, the, you know, pedal to the floor basically the entire season. It's not like they're going to be nursing leads too often. Uh, but he is going to have a bunch of great rushing performances. I want to, the one thing I want to ask you about Tua and, you know, I, obviously I completely agree the way that they've, the way that they've built, not just the skill position talent around him, but sort of rebuilt an offensive line that was about as bad as it got last year. Um, that's really impressive. They've done everything they can personnel wise, I think, to create, uh, a, a wonderful environment for Tua. But we also talked when, when we were discussing Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay about the importance of continuity. They don't have it right. Like this is um, this, this is a, it reminds me of that. Remember that year that uh, like everything was new for the Texans. Like it, this got screwed up by Osweiler, but like Osweiler was new and wasn't like Lamar Miller new. And there were new receivers and most of the offensive line was new. And like sometimes you just throw all this new stuff on the field and it's not pretty at least in September and October. Do you have a, do you have a concern about that? I mean, I, I see your point. I mean, at least Tua and Waddle have, you know, history of reps going back to Alabama and they hired an offensive coach. So if they made the right hire, you, you could think positively about that. I, I also think Tyreek Hill is, is about as plug a play a receiver as there is. I mean, Tyreek Hill, not that he can't run technically sound routes and, I'll always defer to Matt Harmon if, if you want to get into the weeds about what makes somebody a better runner than somebody else. But Tyreek Hill's best thing is like, okay, just run by everybody. You know, he's a speed merchant to the point that the the Chiefs kind of screwed up thinking, okay, we, we found one Tyreek Hill. Let's find another one in McCall yeah. Hardman. And you know, McCall Hardman has never become even like a 20% Tyreek Hill. And I, I'm still kind of down on Hardman even with with Hill out of town. But it's, it's a valid point. I, I guess part of me saying nice things about Tua is just, I'm just excited that we're going to get a verdict. Okay. I mean, he, yeah, he was yeah. in college. He was, you know, at one point tank for Tua was the thing. He, he looked like he was the number one overall pick, got hurt. His draft stock moved down a little bit. Then it became like, well, do you take Herbert, you know, the, the, the introvert, you know, is that, is he the personality to be a great quarterback? Do you take Tua? Miami takes Tua. It looks like Herbert was obviously now in retrospect, the right pick. It would. It's just nice that we're going to get. I feel like we're going to get a verdict. You know, the, the jury's been out on Tua this year. The jury's going to come in if he's not effective with this group. Miami has to say, okay, fine. You know, we, we gave him every opportunity to succeed, albeit a lot of these pieces are new, and it's not unusual to see receivers go to new teams and, and struggle for different reasons. So we have to be fair about that. But we're going to have finally our definitive answer. I think on if Tua Tagovailoa can be a, a franchise quarterback, a, a decade long answer, a quarterback, and I'm just really looking forward to getting that settled. Yeah, yeah, I like the call. Um, my quarterback for this is, well, first of all, my original quarterback was going to be Trevor Lawrence, but I feel like I've talked about him enough, and I feel like at least there are some corners of the industry that are that are coming around on Trevor Lawrence a little bit. Sneaky rushing upside, like grown-up coaching is going to make such a difference there. Better better route combinations overall. I don't, like, I don't love what they did at receiver necessarily, and they threw a lot of money at it, but it's better. And I, again, I, I think a, a coaching staff that uh, that knows what it's doing is going to make a world of difference for him. But the, the quarterback I want to talk about, actually, who I'm super interested in is uh, is Derek Carr. Derek Carr finished with I don't even know if people know this. Derek Carr finished with over forty eight hundred passing yards last year. And I know there's an extra game and all that. Uh, but the man averaged two hundred eighty two passing yards per game. He was easily on pace for five thousand yards at the halfway mark of the season. And then things 
took several wild turns for the Raiders, right? So no no fault of his. But but that guy went over 380 passing yards in each of his first three games. And now look at his receiving core. Like this might be the the best one through three in the in the league, right? It's Devontae Adams, it's Hunter Renfro, it's Darren Waller. These guys can all play. I'm really excited about what we're going to get from from Derek Carr. Plus, he's in he's in this division where, you know, it's just going to be Nintendo scoring all year. I mean, you're going to have to like, I don't know, you're going to have to get to 35, 38 points to win games against the against the Chiefs and Chargers. So I am I am really excited for what the season ahead brings for Derek Carr. Again, like assuming he stays healthy, assuming the receivers stay healthy and assuming they have something much closer to a normal season. Yeah, I'm surprised the NFL hasn't come out with a streaming package that gets, gives you exclusive rights to the AFC West because those yeah. games just look like pinball. They look like a lot of fun. And obviously, Carr, it, it goes back a few years. I mean, it goes back to like, what, 2012, 2013. But Carr and Adams played together at Fresno State and just put up pinball numbers. Now, I, granted, they weren't doing it in the SEC. They weren't doing it in the Big Ten. But anytime two guys hook up for, I think it was 38 touchdown passes in two years, Carr had a year with 50 Adams had a year with 24. And so, and Adams wanted to be there. You know, I, it's not like Adams was traded against his will or Adams had to take like a pillow contract. He's like, okay, you know, Devonte Adams said, I'm, I'm with a first, you know, ballot walk in hall of famer and Aaron Rodgers, And you know what? I'm, I'm ready to move on from that. I'm ready to live in Vegas. I'm ready to live with Derek Carr, do that thing. So it's, and I know some people have criticized the Raiders like, Oh, well you, you paid so much in trade and then you had to give Adams the big contract, you, you know, there's so many teams in sports right now that don't try, you know, in baseball, there are teams that take yeah. the revenue sharing money and say, okay, we'll make a profit and we'll win 64 games. And then, you know, once somebody gets good, we'll just trade them to a better team. And that, that stinks. At least the Raiders are saying, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I know we made the playoffs, but nobody really kind of sees us as a primary Super Bowl contender, but screw that. We're going to go for it. We're going to get who still may be the best receiver in football, hook him up with a quarterback he has history with. We have a really exciting receiver in tight end room. And any game, again, any game with the AFC West, I'm in. The Chargers have have done all sorts of exciting things. Uh, They've they've fixed the defense. It looks like Herbert is still on his rookie contract, which is such a big advantage. It seems like forever that Denver's trying to fix their quarterback situation. Now they have Russell Wilson. It's a transition year for Kansas City, but any team with with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey is going to be interesting. So, I mean, I, I don't think anybody needs a sell job on this, but you can put as many AFC West games on primetime, on standalone, uh, and I will be invested from opening snap. And and the Raiders, you also, you know, at first when they moved from Oakland, and I realized they bounced around a lot, you know, Oakland, LA, and back to Oakland and everything. I was kind of sad to see Oakland lose its team, but now... I mean, o- Oakland to Vegas, it's not like they moved halfway across the country. And, right, and right. Vegas looks like a really good yeah, – I mean, they've supported their hockey team really well. They have fully they, embraced the team. Yep. State, state-of-the-art. It's a state-of-the-art stadium. And also, when you just think of what the Raiders symbolize, you know, going back to Al Davis and him fighting with Pete Rozelle and, you know, all these lawsuits, they're kind of a renegade team and everything. The fact that they're in Vegas – you know, you know, I mean, it's so silly that like the Utah Jazz are a thing, right? I mean, when Utah <laughs> moved, they should have called their team something else. But Vegas Raiders, Vegas feels just kind of like a renegade area where yes. anything goes. And so if the Raiders had to move from Oakland, I think Vegas was a natural fit. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, Derek Carr, sometimes we hold it against quarterbacks when they're not. I, I know one year he got a little bit of MVP support. 
again, you know, while Peter King was dissing Philip Seymour Hoffman, he was he was pitching Derek Carr for MVP. <laughs> but like, I, lo- I love you, Peter. Uh, you know, keep keep doing what you do. But Carr Carr's an above average quarterback. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah. it's it's so easy to say, oh, you know, Kirk Cousins, you know, he's lost all these primetime games, and Derek Carr, can you win a Super Bowl with him? I don't know. Maybe you can win a Super Bowl with him. I mean, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. You know, you need other things to go right. I I think the Raiders are going to be a blast. I, I, well, think they're I, gonna, I feel uh, like we get one or two games from Derek Carr each year. Maybe I'm short selling him. Maybe it's three or four. Where man, he looks good, right? Like his it's it's always a little bit of a roller coaster, but his best games are terrific. And he's a he he fits the face of the franchise really well. You know, he's yeah. I don't know. He just he checks a lot of those intangible boxes. And for all the people who might just scoff at that and be like, well, you know, intangibles are you know, really I, give me the guy who's great. I don't care about the intangibles, but quarterbacks a different position. There's a lot of media responsibility. You have a relationship with everybody on the team and certainly everybody on the offense. You, you need to be kind of the smartest guy on the offense. You need to know all the playbook has to be, you know, in your head. Although I guess it could be on your wrist as well. And, um, you know, I would not be surprised if the Raiders made the playoffs again this year, even though they're probably going to be the longest shot of the four teams, I guess, depending on what you think of the Broncos. But I think the Raiders are going to be a blast, and I, and I hope they get a lot of primetime games, and I think they, I think they will. You know, to your, to your point about the Raiders making the playoffs and nobody really thinking of them as much of a threat last, they almost beat the Bengals. Like, mm-hmm. they almost beat the team that went to the Super Bowl in the AFC. So sure. they have every right to look at that game and say, man, we were, you know, we're a play away. We're a play away from beating the team that went to the Super Bowl. So I love what they did. Love the way they handled uh, the, I love the go for it trade with Devontae. I love that Derek Carr is probably also the de facto executive of the year right now for helping to orchestrate that. Why don't you give me, let's move on to running back. Why don't you give me your sort of sleepery best ball, uh, middle of the spring, early spring running back? Yeah, I mean, again, these are more value plays than sleepers because they're all well-known players. I I was really impressed with what Michael Carter did as a rookie with the Jets, uh, showed the ability to catch the ball. And I realized that we just lived through the Sam Darnold experience in New York and it was frustrating. And you'd always want to see like, oh, he looked good in this brief, you know, he had a December here or there where he was good. And maybe it was Adam Gase's fault. I'm not ready to say definitively that Zach Wilson can't play. And I think Michael Carter has a chance to play on all three downs. I, I'll be interested in drafting him. I'm hoping that now, granted, you look at the, the Buffalo Bills and you look at what Gabe Davis did in the playoffs. He had that four touchdown game. You look at the way Devin Singletary played at the end of the year. I mean, these are games that everybody saw, a lot of standalone games. But I think Buffalo is maybe finally over that hump where it's like, oh no, Zach Moss is our running back. Or oh no, we want Matt Breida to play. Or oh no, we're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna bring in somebody um to, to take away touches from Singletary. I, I think this is the year where he set the career high in touches. And maybe Josh Allen is at that point where he realizes that he's so valuable as a, as a passer yeah. that he has to spot his running and, and doesn't want to do it proactively. Now, granted, a lot of times they're great. Those rushing props are great for quarterbacks in the playoffs because that's when you play them with your hair on fire and you say, well, okay, you know, if I, if, if I get hurt today, I, I have the whole offseason to rehab if we lose the game. But I think it's at a point where Allen might pull back a little bit from his running. So I'm going to be proactive, proactive on Singletary. And, you know, I, again, this sounds overly simplistic, but, Urban Meyer, I mean, Urban Meyer has hit the Tyson zone for head coaching, where any story <laughs> that is floated about Urban Meyer in his time at Jacksonville would sound plausible. 
You know, I mean, I mean, he he made he he was kicking one of his kickers, yeah, you know, and he was saying just like the the lamest things to his coaching staff, and we were just overmatched. Didn't know who Aaron Donald was. I, again, I, I don't know firsthand that this stuff is is true or not, but I'm at the point where I believe any story about Urban Meyer. Yep. So I'm really excited, and I know Jacksonville kind of had one of those weird free agency seasons where they outbid a lot of guys, and it, you know they just went in with their money flowing left and right. And yeah, you know, look, I mean. Jacksonville, it may be a harder sell for a city. It's not like you're selling somebody to come to Los Angeles or Las Vegas or something like that. But Trevor Lawrence, I'm still bullish on. And James Robinson last year, I mean, for whatever reason, he got into Urban Meyer's doghouse to the point that Lawrence had to say, hey, man, he's one of our best players. Get him on the field. I think Robinson and Travis Etienne have different skill sets. And we'll see. And now Etienne's injury was early enough that you were hopeful that he'll be you know, ready to go right out of the box next year. But I think James Robinson, from what I've seen with the early ADPs, is going to be maybe a round or two undersold. I still think he's a good football player. He's only in his third year. We, we like running backs on their rookie contract before they've had too much use. I think he sets up to be a good value. And I think the Jaguars could be one of those frisky, they're not going to be great or anything, but I think they could be kind of a fun 6-11 and 11 where yeah. they have some carnival games. That, that you know, Lawrence, I still fully believe in him. And I think James Robinson is going to be maybe at least in the early part of ADP of uh, best ball ADP season is going to be a little bit under repped. Well, I'm looking at the same team and the the first name on my list. Again, I have no idea where this guy is going right now. Um, haven't done a lot of looking at ADP. I think it's kind of pointless to look at ADP to a great extent uh, until we really get into the heart of draft season. But uh, I'm super interested in Travis Etienne. He is, he's coming back from a complicated injury, right? It's, it's a list Frank injury, which we hate. But he's going to be 12 months removed from it in August. Um, so we're not asking for some sort of miraculous or crazy recovery timeline here. That guy caught 85 passes in his final two years at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, right? So we have pre-existing rapport. He's in a terrific situation. Jacksonville spent all of that money on wide receivers, but didn't really get a star. Uh, I think there's a very good chance. And I, I, got, I got no problem with James Robinson. James Robinson is a wonderful story probably not going to be healthy in camp, uh, maybe the early part of the preseason, all that. Um, but, but as you say, I think ETN and Robinson can do different things. And there's a path here for ETN to get 60 plus catches this year. That doesn't seem too far fetched for me. I, I love him. Uh, really liked him as a talent coming out of college, like where he landed. I like that he has the, he's out of the shadow of that terrible coaching staff. It is just a, it is just a much better environment in Jacksonville right now. And then the, the other situation that I'll, that I'll flag, I feel like, I feel like nobody's ever going to fight me for a Miami running back, um, particularly after what happened last year. But I kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them both, I think, in, in the same league. But I kind of like both Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert for different reasons. Uh, I expect, number one, life to be really good for the running backs in Mike McDaniel's offense, right? Like, there's every reason to expect that. They have talent all over the field. So it's not like you're going to overload, you know, Tyreek Hill is out there. It's not like your defense is going to overload to stop Raheem Mostert. You look at Edmonds, he's averaged 5.7 yards per touch in each of the last three seasons. I think he's really good. Mostert's only issues are involve staying healthy. When he's on the field, he's generally great, super fast about his, you know, talk about team speed between Waddle and Hill and Raheem Mostert if he makes it all the way back. Um, that is really exciting. So, again, I think the Miami backfield situation, it's one where nobody fights you for these guys everybody's kind of irritated with them. Everybody's done with Raheem Mostert. Um, you could probably get him very late. 
I'm pretty interested in that pair. Yeah, but Miles Gaskin didn't make anybody happy last year. And Edmonds also was one of these guys. I, I mentioned Kyle Pitts earlier. Edmonds was comically unlucky with touchdowns. Now, gr- granted, he doesn't have a profile where you think of them, oh, first and goal at the one is Chase Edmonds' time. But if you're going to be that productive on a per-touch basis, you're going to fa- eventually find the end zone a handful of times. It, touchdown, positive touchdown regression should hit for Edmonds next year where it would be no surprise if he scored seven or eight times. All right, give me a couple of receivers that you're in on. Well, we talked about the Buccaneers, and you know, Tom Brady's a recruiter, and he said to Russell Gage, hey, man, you know, you sick of this Falcons thing? Why don't you come play with us? And <laughs> Russell Gage was playing on a Falcons team that was a shipwreck, right? I yeah. mean, he was playing some really good football at the end of the year, and, and Brady loves these slot guys. I mean, he loves these guys who can win on option routes, win on third down. I think Russell Gage is set up to maybe catch 80 balls next year, and I don't think you're going to have to pay a lot for it because there's just so much screened. Evans, Godwin, I, I assume they'll probably find a way to get Gronkowski back there. There's just, uh, obviously, they brought back Leonard Fournette, and, man, he's turned into a, a really nice player for them. But Gage is going to be obscured by other guys on this on this roster. But when Tom Brady calls you out and says, I want to play with you, and has a role that a specific type of receiver that he's utilized in the past. I, I think these guys are, I, I get the idea. They're probably going to throw like 5,000 passes to each other between, between now and like May 31st or something like that. And Russell Gage is going to be a part of my fantasy portfolio next season as a, it's a boring value pick. I mean, right. You're, you're hoping for like, you know, 82 for, you know, for nine thirty five and, and six or whatever, but you know, PPR formats, which most best ball leagues are, that certainly plays. Yeah. I, I love this call. Um, and I'll just underline the fact, like, I, I don't know where the industry will come in on Russell Gage, but when Tom Brady actively recruits a slot receiver to his team that you've got my attention, right? Like this is a, you know, the, the Bucks just going out and finding a guy that they were interested in. This is Tom Brady placing a call, loved that story, loved the way Gage played in a, in an otherwise abysmal offensive environment last year. So I think that's a really good call. I have two names at receiver that I want to, that I want to run by you. I don't even know how much I like this first guy, but he's available at a price where I just don't think I don't think this is where he's going to finish. You know, I, I I feel like right now, again, I haven't done an extensive looking at uh, at ADP necessarily, but I don't, I don't see anybody in the industry that is bullish in any way on Jarvis Landry. I get why he's discounted. He's still in search of a team. And maybe it's a situation where we're just all sort of waiting to, to plug in Jarvis Landry's rank as soon as he as soon as he finds an employer is just out of sight, out of mind. When healthy, this guy is never not a wide receiver, too. He did it for five consecutive seasons, uh, went to five Pro Bowls in those seasons. He's a good player. If he get, And I can't, I'm looking around the league. I don't, I don't see a situation that I really hate for him. If he goes back to Cleveland, he is surely going back to an upgraded quarterback situation. So I like that just fine. Shoot, if he goes to Green Bay, and I'm, I, you know, I have no reason to think he would necessarily, but I'm looking at teams that have uh, availability at receiver. He goes to Green Bay, that's better. He goes to Indy, that's that's great. I'm I'm happy with that. Matt Ryan, if he goes, if he goes to Atlanta, we may not love it, but he's looking at 140 or 150 targets. So I, I think Jarvis Landry, a pretty interesting player. He kind of like Russell Gage. He wouldn't necessarily be a home run, but he'd be a pretty solid double, maybe a triple. And then another name that I'll throw out there is Alan Lazard. And like we all expect we all expect Green Bay to draft at least one early wide receiver. It's a given. They may draft more than one. 
they may yet trade for a veteran to to uh, be you know I don't know it's it's easy to it's easy to come up with a scenario where a Tyler Lockett or a DK Metcalf shakes loose. I, I get all that. Right now, Alan Lazard looks like the number one receiver in Green Bay. They have something like 240 vacated targets at wide receiver, so they could bring in a rookie. That rookie could be a star and see 140 targets, and there's still 100 left over to distribute to everybody else, right? So I, I just think there's... Plus, having multi-season rapport with Aaron Rodgers matters a lot. There have not been a ton of rookies that come in there and thrive immediately. It took a while for Devontae Adams. We've got this pre-existing relationship with with Alan Lazard. I've got him. I've got him ranked in the in the low 30s right now at wide receiver. Uh, I've ha- I was just having this conversation on Twitter with Dave Kluge. I know he's got him in the 20s somewhere, and I've I've already kind of baked in the idea that they're going to draft a young, talented receiver. I think Lazard is going to be really good, and uh, in a lot of ranks right now, you see him down in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I like the Lazard call a lot. I almost put him on the script too. And he's somebody who, in the past, Rodgers has politics and said, we got to get this guy on the field. Yes, and yes. Aaron Rodgers does not, we can never assume that Aaron Rodgers is necessarily going to pitch for certain guys. I mean, he's, <laughs> some people are in the circle of trust with Rodgers. Some people aren't. Some people get his cell phone number. Some people don't. And it, it just seems like it's set up for Alan Lazard to have like a, a 78, you know, 968 and 8 season. You know, it's perfectly reasonable, even if he's not the alpha there. Uh, and Landry, it's a case of, He's just going to be one of these anti-buzz picks, right? Nobody, when you pick yeah. Jarvis Landry, the whole room isn't going to pat you in the back or, oh, wow, you stole my guy. You, almost, you yeah. just depleted my cue. The, the, the room, so many people in your room are going to be over Jarvis Landry. And again, you're just looking for a boring value grab. One other guy I'll mention, this is kind of an obvious play, but I, I want to just remind everybody that I know Matt Ryan is on, he's not on the back nine of his career. He's on like the 16th hole, the 17th hole. I mean, there aren't that many Matt Ryan seasons left, but he's better than Carson Wentz. And the one year, we, I think it was just one year that Phillip Rivers was in Indianapolis. He was a, a useful player. Michael Pittman was really good last year, despite Wentz just missing him and throwing the ball late or, or just, you know, a lot of times you'd watch the game and like a Sunday night game and, and Collinsworth would be like, you know, Al, I, I don't know how they didn't see Michael Pittman here. I mean, he's like 10 years, 10 yards behind the defender and, and Wentz just doesn't, doesn't recognize that that's supposed to be a touchdown. Now, yeah, Matt Ryan, you know, we're a long way from his MVP form of what, 2015 or 16, whatever year it was, but um, it, he's an, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade. And Michael Pittman is into a third season. I mean, remember that used to be the time when we looked for receivers to pop, there's been so many good USC talented receivers. Shout out to our colleague, Michael Lazarus, who's a big USC guy who wants you to draft Blake London, by the way. I believe that's the USC receiver who's, who's into the draft Blake, this year. Drake, so. one of the Londons. Drake, yeah, one of the Londons, you know. Anyway, I think uh, I think Pittman is, not that this is any kind of a secret, because there's, there's going to be, you know, Pittman is a guy that you're going to draft and somebody's going to get mad when you draft him. But just remember that Carson Wentz is, He's such a bad quarterback that only the the Washington football team, I guess they're called the Commanders now, only commanders. them, yeah. only the Commanders would see Carson Wentz as a legitimate, you know, legitimate answer now. And I love that Wentz wanted, not that I'm, you know, I want Wentz to have an unhappy life or anything, but I love that he wanted to have like a discussion with the front office at Indy and like, nah, we've moved on from you. You can't even talk to us anymore. Just <laughs> get out of the building. Here's your box. Put your stuff in it. Get out of here. But um yeah, I think the Colts are going to going to easily win that division. And, and even though it's going to be the Jonathan Taylor show, 
and justly so. I'm ready for like you know, 1,180 yards and like nine or 10 touchdowns from Michael Pittman. I, I love that you mentioned Pittman. I, I ha- he was going to be my initial receiver that I talked about here. And then I was like, man, people are going to get mad if they see sleeper in the title. And I end up talking he's not about a sleeper. Pittman. He is not a sleeper, but I think he's going to be set up to give you a profit. And that's it's really such a good what we're trying call. to do here. Yeah, fully agree with you. Give me give me a tight end before we get out of here. Yeah, two, you know, two very simple tropes. Uh, Austin Hooper is escaping Cleveland. He was a pretty good player with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. And then he goes to Tennessee where Tannehill, you know, had a good thing going with Johnny Smith a couple of years ago. I think we can go back to Hooper being the 750 and six guy. You know, just, you know, a second tight end you might draft or or somebody who, if it really pops, he maybe sneaks into the top 10. And I talked about third year receivers. I mean, third year tight end used to be a thing too. And Albert O, I, one day I'll learn how to say his last name, but you know, with with Noah Fant out of the picture in Denver. And again, I talk about being screened, right? You look in Denver, everybody's, you know, Javante Williams. And, and by the way, I'm going to blanch when somebody puts him on a sleeper list. I mean, he may be a first round pick this year. He's not a sleeper. Yeah. I mean, every, everybody knows that he can blow up whether or not Gordon comes back. We'll see. But this is an offense that has Russell Wilson added. Williams is ready to pop. They have all sorts of receiver talent and people that we feel good about. And so Albert O is kind of an afterthought, but he's going to get playing time. He has really good yards per target numbers through two years. He's been a little bit unlucky with the injuries, but I think it's set up that maybe he could catch 65 balls this year. Russell Wilson, I mean, he propped up Jimmy Graham into a really good season when it seemed like Graham had no vertical explosion left. So uh, Hooper and, and Albert O are a couple of my value tight ends as we look at the early draft board. Yeah, I think we're we're probably going to find Albert O's name on almost everybody's list of sleepers, values, mm-hmm. whatever breakout players, yep. whatever you want to call it, given the given the new circumstances in Denver, the departure of Fan, the arrival of Wilson, all that. There's a lot of offseason helium here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not going to surprise me if we come into draft season and Albert O is like the tight end six um, consensus. You know, oh, that's ends. not going to happen. No, 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 no. I think he's more like tight end. Thir- even if he becomes a healing maybe guy, maybe where he'll Dalton be like has him right now. Doesn't Dalton have him parked at like tight end five, tight end six well, he's right just, now? That's just the, the classic Dalton Dalton. Look at me ranking. You know <laughs> I, mean? I think people are going to be very bullish on him. I'll just I'll tack on um, a couple more names in scattershot fashion. Uh, number one, if Irv Smith is healthy, I'm I'm, I'm yes. down. Yes. Not in a. Not in a, not in a, you know, I don't think Irv Smith is going to crack the top five or top six, but if you're, if you're just going to fade this spot because you don't end up with, you know, Andrews, Kelsey, Kittle, any of the, any of the big ones, Pitts, um, if you're just going to fade this spot, I'd wait all the way until Irv Smith, because I think he can step in and have that year that we were kind of forecasting for him last season, where it's not, it's not a ton of receptions. He's not super PPR helpful, but could Irv Smith fall into eight touchdowns? Um, I think that could definitely happen. And if something like that happens, then he ends up in like the top eight, top 10 at the position. One other name I'll throw out there, if it is a particularly deep league, I think that uh, I think that Hayden Hurst in Cincinnati can do just about anything that uh, CJ Uzama did last year. And I know it wasn't like a necessarily a wow season for, for CJ, but uh, Hurst at the very least can be that guy. He's going to have unlimited room to operate. Basically Uh, you're going to have defenses preoccupied with chase with Higgins, all sorts of weapons with Cincinnati. I love, and I, I feel like I've mentioned this on other podcasts. uh, So I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I I think Cincinnati has been such a sneaky winner in the off season. They haven't added, you know, a ton of offensive weapons because they didn't need to add skill position players. 
they've built a wall around the quarterback who led the league in sacks last year, right? Like Joe Burrow got sacked 51 times in 16 games and um, they've reinvented their offensive line with good players. So I, I see no reason why Burrow can't be better. And he was great last year. I thought he made himself a fringy MVP candidate by the end of the year, obviously took his team to the Super Bowl. And now the offensive line looks a ton better. So I think Hurst could get interesting if you're in something like a 16 team format. Yeah, I like that. I even toy with maybe the idea of Tyler Boyd having a comeback season and, yeah. and being back to the the player who was a couple of years ago. And Burrow is just one of those guys who's just easy to like. You know, I feel like unless for some reason you've just grown a dislike of the Bengals, I feel like he's somebody where just, just the comeback was great. The run through the playoffs. Um, there can't be Bengal fatigue already, is there? No, there for, for sure there can't be. And another thing in favor of Irv Smith is that Tyler Conklin has moved on. And yeah. not that Tyler Conklin was was blocking anybody really, but he's what I call a fantasy obstructor, you know, because he just comes in and gets, okay, I'm going to get 450 yards and four touchdowns that we want to steer to somebody else who maybe has more fantasy utility. I also feel like we talked about Tyler Conklin on the waiver wire podcast, probably about seven or eight times. I'm not sure they ever worked out. I'm not sure anybody picked up Tyler Conklin and really got. Wasn't there, there was like a single two touchdown game. I think, I think, I think we weren't, you know, we probably hit like a a buck 50 or whatever on Tyler Conklin, but that one week it it really worked out. Yeah. You know, soon, sooner or later, we're going to get an editorial directive. Just not talk about tight ends on the waiver podcast. (laughs) It's always the same three guys. And you're just hoping for, you know, it's the one week in four that they score a touchdown or the one week in four that they have four catches for 55 yards. Like, oh, good. Yeah, I get some good good production from my, my bye week fill-in or my injury fill-in or, you know, whatever it is. But, yeah, so there's some fantasy values for you. So now go, go. Um, I don't know about you, Andy. I, again, I like drafting early in the sense that it's a great way to best ball. It's a great way to learn the player pool, get, get familiar with where the ebb and flow of talent is. But for me, it really starts once the NFL draft happens. I think the idea, and some people disagree on this. Some people are perfectly happy to say, okay, I'll just guess where Kenneth Walker is going to end up or whatever, you know, whatever receivers are going to go wherever they go. But I think that's just a little bit too haphazard for me. That's like the people who want, you know, Monopoly to decide it on who lands on free parking or whatever it is. Or, you know, they, they like Scrabble. Scrabble would be a better game if they had seven blanks. You know, um, <laughs> I think best ball drafting is best. Look, the moment the NFL drafts, that's great. A week later, I'll be, I'll be doing best ball drafts. But I think you have to have the NFL draft because so much of the skill talent will be players we draft proactively come, you know, June, July and August. I'll tell you the other thing um, buried here at the end of the podcast about uh, best ball drafting is like if I'm involved in a mock draft, no, nobody should ever take that seriously because I'm not taking it particularly seriously because I'm more interested in seeing how much other people like the guys that I like. Um, But like I really enjoy best ball drafting as a substitute for that because I clearly you have skin in the game. You're trying to win the thing. It's not like a it's not like a mock where it's, you know, but it's strategically, I should be more interested in what you think of my guys than what I think of my guys. I know what I think of my guys. So I just absolutely love best ball as a substitute for that. Yeah, that's a great point. Gene McCaffrey used to always say that, you know, the players that he'd have like his list of guys that he was probably going to draft in regular draft season. And his goal in a mock draft was to see what the market price was. Yep. So he was just back off on those guys. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at the the Fantasy Football Index, uh, Ian Allen specifically, who came up with the idea that when they would do their mock draft and mock auction or salary cap draft in their magazine, and this goes back like 15 years, maybe even longer, 
they would score it. They would have rather than just like, okay, we do a mock draft. Nobody cares. They would score at best ball scoring and give a little bit of pub to whoever won it. So we took some ownership of those things. And yeah, and I had never heard, I mean, I, I'm a golfer my whole life. I know what a, a best ball thing is in golf, but I, I'd never heard best ball used in fantasy. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I'm pretty confident that it's Ian Allen who probably, if not invented best ball drafting for football, popularized it. And I don't know that they often get the credit for that. They're not really like, you know, guys who are seeking to, to grab glory or point to themselves. And look, Ian Allen needs no. Oftentimes you know, we come up with a concept and we forget to brand it. And right, the, right, yeah, the, yeah. Look, yeah. look, the Fantasy Football Index has done you know wonderful magazine work, and Ian Allen's in the FSWA Hall of Fame for a reason. So I just want to give him some props because I, I think he's the guy who either invented and or popularized this um, this method of drafting, which I think makes us all better fantasy players. And anybody out there who's thinking best ball draft, what what are you talking about? You get the joy of drafting. You get none of the extra maintenance in the season. <laughs> yes, exactly. You have again because you have skin to the game. You have a more truer result of how the players come off the the board. You know, people. And, and, and by the way, if somebody wants to draft like a you know kind of an idiot, then you know your your win rate win rate gets gets improved. And through those best ball drafts, you will be so iron tested and so sharp when it comes to the the leagues that you care about the most when those start drafting in late July or August or September, whenever those leagues happen for you, you'll have such a better understanding of the player pool ebb and flow. So it, to me, it's become, it's like a golfer going to the driving range or, you know, a bowler getting right, in practice right. frames before the game starts or, or Steph Curry, you know, making 17 ridiculous threes before the game starts. That's what your best ball draft is. It's a great comp. It is well put. And that is going to do it for this episode of the fantasy football forecast. You guys, of course, uh, should follow him on Twitter. He is at Scott underscore Pianowski. I am simply at Andy Barons. Please, while you're there, make sure that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt Harmon will be back on Tuesday with special guest JJ Zacharyson. Oh, that's a good guest. Man, that's a good guest. Um, and they will give you an in-depth draft discussion. Until then, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>